a big takeaway I always want people that hear me speak leave with is to allow yourself to be where you are, to not discredit yourself. Don't belittle your experience. Allow yourself to be where you are and make a decision and commit to creating the life that you want. This is the Alchemized Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Johanna, and I am so grateful to have you here joining me for yet another soul expansive conversation. My intention with every episode is to show you through storytelling and in-depth conversations that you, yes, you are capable of creating anything you desire. Alongside yours truly, you'll hear from thought leaders and industry voices, and together we will teach you how to come alive in your authentic expression and remember the infinite power of your soul. We're covering topics like wealth, worthiness, the pursuit of your passions, and you'll be inspired to break all the rules of living an ordinary life. You were truly put on this planet to have it all. The thriving spiritual practice, the steamy relationship, the income, and the impact. So together, let's align with our divine selves and alchemize your life. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Rosie Acosta. I have, and you'll hear me say it at the beginning of the episode, have known and had Rosie on my radar since the very beginning of this podcast. And now has been the time that we've finally been able to connect and to have her on. Um, And it was such a fun conversation. One of the things that I really loved about the conversation that we had was just the transparency around what walking this path really looks like. And, you know, I think that oftentimes, especially in the world of social media and podcasts and, you know, all of the different ways in which we can consume the lives of other people, it can create this illusion that if you've been meditating for long enough or you're a spiritual thought leader or you do X, Y, and Z that, you know, you become immune to some of the very basic fears or triggers or reactions that we often have as as mere mortals in the beginning of our journeys. And, and through our conversation today, I think what you're going to hear is that it doesn't matter what level you're at. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing these practices. We are all human. We are all the same. We are all walking this path together. And, you know, while we may have been, some people may have been walking it for longer. That doesn't mean that they are immune to a lot of the things that, that, that we all go through. And so I think that that was one of the things that really stood out to me about this conversation with Rosie. And, um, you know, I was super excited to have her on because I recently read her book that's just coming out now, You Are Radically Loved. And her story resonates with me a lot as far as having a really challenging childhood, having a really challenging um, young adulthood and her journey of finding meditation, finding yoga, finding mindfulness and and the work that she's doing today. And so she's a yoga and meditation teacher, um, a holistic health coach. She works with a wide range of students um, from Olympic athletes to NFL champions to NBA all-stars. She has a podcast um, called Radically Loved. And as I mentioned, her book, You Are Radically Loved, is coming out. And so I wanted to have her on to share her story. Um, she's an inspirational speaker, uh, yoga teacher, trainer, and as the founder of Radically Loved Radio. And so throughout this conversation, I hope that you really can see that there is so many gifts in walking this path as far as being able to truly create a journey that is unique to your own desire and that it's also safe for you to follow your intuition. It's safe for you to listen to that voice inside of you. It's guiding you towards something. Um, So you'll hear Rosie's story more. And if you want to grab her book, I linked it in the show notes. I highly suggest it. She shares a lot of her story and um, really tangible ways to incorporate the lessons of the book. And you can also follow her at Rosie 
Acosta, A-C-O-S-T-A. And definitely check out her podcast as well, too. So I hope that y'all enjoy this episode and I'll see you on the other side. Ah, oh, Rosie Acosta. Hello. Welcome to The Alchemized Life. This is a long time coming. I've created the podcast in 2018. And so basically it's been since 2018, since I've known your name, I've known your story and I've wanted to have you on the podcast. So you're here and welcome. Yeah. I'm so happy. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. I'm so excited. I I think you're an incredibly wise teacher in the world and I love everything that you do. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I always love also being able to have a fellow meditation teacher come on the podcast because I just nerd out constantly. And it's so funny because I'm in Sayulita right now. And so I'm meeting all of these new people. And for me, new people is an opportunity to be like, let's get them meditating. Let's yeah. see how much they've experienced before. Um, so it's always fun to have a fellow meditator on the podcast as well. Yeah, no, I love that too. And I love that you're in Sayulita right now. I wish that we could do this in person and I was right there with you. <laughs> that would be so lovely. It's been a while since I've done an in-person um, podcast. So it's been, it's been an interesting past couple of years. And I know that, you know, before we hopped on, you had shared the same sentiment. Yeah. I mean, it has been such a interesting time. One of the things that I love though, that this time during the pandemic, what it did was that it created an opportunity for so many of us to examine parts of our lives that perhaps were neglected for a long, long time. And I'd be curious what came up for you too during that time where we were essentially forced to stop. I feel like a lot of the times we don't give ourselves the opportunity to stop and to take a break because we have that fear of missing out. We have yeah. FOMO. We are trying to constantly carve out that time, but it it seemed like we all collectively received the permission to stop. And the fact that every single person, it didn't matter who you were, had to stop was a great opportunity to do some self-inquiry and to create yeah. that space for really examining what your life is about, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, honestly, in 2020, for me, it was like foot on the gas go. I had just stopped teaching meditation and breathwork and yoga in LA. I had made the decision in like January, 2020 to bring all my work online. And, um, you know, when everyone was collectively pausing and looking at ways in which to inquire within, that's when I was like, all right, I've created this breathwork and meditation certification program. And people are like, oh my gosh. And so for me, the 2020 was actually just like one of my most momentous years that I've had. But once 2021 hit, there was a little bit more speed in the beginning of the year. And then I was forced to really, really, really slow down. And so it was actually super interesting because when everyone else was slowing down, I was like, had all of this momentum coming up. And then when it feels like the world started opening up and people started speeding up, I was actually forced for like six months to just slow down and stop and take a step back and look at every single area of my life and ask like, is this it? Or is there something to shift here? Yeah, I love that. And it's so interesting, right? How it happens like, oh, the entire world is slowing down. It's my opportunity to speed it up or vice versa. And this is the thing that I love about facilitators and teachers like yourself is the fact that you have the tools to recognize when those moments are, right? Whether we take them or not, you have the tools to be able to recognize there's something happening right now. I need to really pay attention to what this is and give mm -hmm. yourself the opportunity to, yeah, be, be where you are. Give yourself the permission, right? And I, I feel like this is one of our biggest crosses to bear as women that we constantly feel like we have to be doing and producing and, and showing up and just being on this go, go, go treadmill 
that we forget that we are also a human and we also need that time and space and care and attention. And, and if we don't get it, you know, it, it it doesn't ever result in an awesome space. Yeah, totally. Well, and you know, we have slightly similar stories. I think that's one of the things that really drew me to you in the beginning. Um, and I'm, I'm curious and we're going to get into your story because you talk about it a lot in your upcoming book, you are radically loved. And I love that you brought in your story into this like manifesto for becoming radically loved. And I think also radically falling in love with life. Um, but for me, what I've found, not only is the, the constantly be doing, 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 but so much of the fear and scarcity of recreating my teenage years, recreating mm. the scarcity, recreating the poverty that I had experienced growing up. And so I think that there's that extra layer too that comes into play with our work and with yeah. relationships and our even personal development where it's like yeah. keep going, going, going because where I was or where you were as well is somewhere that you never want to be again. Yeah. How did you find that for yourself? Like having been raised in a experience in your life where there was poverty or lack, how, how long did it take for you to start to rework that, that template in your mind? I'm curious. I, I think I'm still reworking it. I think wow. there's always like layers underneath it. Like, like I said, like this past year, I was really confronted with my relationship to the material world and how much meaning I had put in certain milestones. And, you know, I looked around and I had this beautiful house in La Jolla and the perfect uh, relationship on paper and all of these different pieces. And I was like, why am I not happy? Mm. And so even, even to this day, I'm still kind of reconciling with these imprints that, that my childhood left as I think we, you know, I think, like I said, like the layers, they just, they just, there's always a little bit more to peel back. And I yeah. think there's also balance and not like going, like leaning so far into like constantly peeling back layers so that you're like in this perpetual state of um, kind of like manic growth. You know yes. what I mean? Oh my goodness. This is the gift of meditation and mindful living is exactly what you're saying, Ava. It's the ability to discern when it's time to push and when it's time to pull back. Because if we don't have a sense that is attuned to that subtlety, we can get, it will replace one addiction with another, yes. one relationship with another, one milestone after the other, and not actually giving yourself the opportunity to examine what it is that you're looking for with this particular relationship, with this particular milestone, with this particular. So you're constantly on the search for this elusive happiness that you'll never get to. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I think that's so, that's so beautiful that you're able to recognize and, and to see that because I feel like a lot of us can and i'm sure the people that are listening to this are are on their own journey on their own path as we all are but i think it's sometimes we do need to go through those moments through that experience of having the on paper good relationship having the facade of oh, okay this is what i'm supposed to be doing this is what creates a happy alchemized life like this is what it's supposed to look like but then once we're there, there's something missing. Something doesn't feel in alignment. And I feel like that's what, before we started recording, we were talking about paying attention to that small intuitive hit that you get, the voice inside of you that maybe over time you've set aside or you shut out because you you feel like there's no possible way that you can be unhappy. It's almost like this internal gaslighting that we do, right? Yes. Where stop being, un especially people that grow up the way that we did, right? If you grow up in an environment where there was lack, you were taught, why well, was anyway, to be grateful for what you have. Don't complain about it. Like just keep living your life, put a smile on your face and, and keep it moving. 
where there's that internal experience of, oh, the, but this doesn't feel right, but then don't feel ungrateful. Right. Yeah, so it's right. like, what then am I supposed to do in a situation where I, I know that this is not the way I need to be living my life right now, but I also don't want to give the universe the wrong signs. Right. So it's like, I want this, but I don't really want this. So how do we begin to peel back the layers and understand what it is that we're really looking for? Understanding that happiness is the result of getting to a place of feeling contentment or fulfillment, knowing that happiness is uh, like, I don't want to say it like this, but it really is unsustainable. I mean, we're not, we don't live there all the time. It, it ebbs and flows. The whole idea behind practicing yoga is to create a more sustainable life, something where I can incorporate moments of sustainable joy in a way that feels manageable and I can easily integrate into my life as opposed to after I do these steps, I can then get to X mm-hmm. and yeah. then and then I'll be happy, right? It's like, then I'll be happy once I get to this point and so much of these Eastern practices, contemplative practices, practices, any practice that involves self-inquiry, the journey is constantly happening, right? So I think it can be very daunting for a lot of people. I know it is for me. I'm sure it is for you too. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly still fine. It's just like you said, you're like, I'm still in it. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And I think that we, we all are. So, you know, I know I'm like stating a lot of issues. I'm like, here are all the problems with our path. And it's true. You know, I'm, I'm definitely a realist when it comes to addressing situations and addressing problems. And a big takeaway I always want people that hear me speak, leave with is, to allow yourself to be where you are, to not discredit yourself. Don't belittle your experience. Allow yourself to be where you are and make a decision and commit to creating the life that you want. Mm, Yes. I love that so much. Yeah. I forgot where it was that I heard this, but um, I think it was actually a a pastor that had had said this. And um, he said so much of the suffering that we experience is the surprise that we have that we suffer at all. And I loved that because it's so true. You know, the, the idea that we aren't, we're going to get to a place where there's absolutely no suffering is, is an illusion because we're human and life is cyclical and things ebb and flow. And it's not always going to be super happy and super fulfilling. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. That doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It's part of it. And I think that that was a really important lesson for me to learn as I started diving into these practices that I wasn't, that something was inherently wrong with me when I had been meditating for over a year and I would still have shallow meditations or would still get angry at somebody who cut me off on the freeway. I wasn't doing it wrong. Yeah. It wasn't inherently wrong. It was just, it's just part of life. So I'm curious for you, well, can you share a little bit about your story, just in case anyone? Is oh yes, new to you just so <laughs> we just went yeah, right we, we went for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I grew up in East Los Angeles during a very chaotic time in LA history. It was during the '92 LA riots. I lived in an environment that was heavily overrun by gang violence and. Uh, largely populated by immigrant families. I'm first-gen Mexican-American, so my parents worked 24-7. I lived in a small two-bedroom housing project with like 10 people, and it it was chaotic. It was extremely chaotic, and I... I didn't know that there was anything wrong with the way that I was growing up because every single person that I was growing up with was growing up with the same types of issues. Yeah. Everyone was living through drive-by shootings. Everyone was having people get arrested and going to jail and it, it was just par for the course. So 
I was, by the time I became a teenager, I was in my rebellious phase. I was suffering from debilitating panic attacks, obviously the remnants of PTSD from seeing people get violence inflicted on them. And I was having these bouts of agoraphobia. I was deathly afraid of leaving my house. And then when I would leave, I'd get to school. And then I was deathly afraid of leaving. And Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me, but now looking back, especially after learning about trauma and psychology, just in general, <laughs> that I was obviously just having major anxiety and suffering from PTSD. I was afraid, literally afraid for my life. I didn't know if, if I would die walking outside of my house. And so I started to act out because I figured if you can't beat them, join them, right? So I was getting involved with some, you know, not great influences. I had already been arrested a handful of times doing just things that kids do, vandalism, getting into fights, et cetera. And then I finally got arrested for trying to um, to steal a cop car. And that was really what was my aha moment because I realized I was on this slippery slope down a road that I didn't see ending well. Mm -hmm. And there was a small voice within me that said to just try to be different and that everything would work out, that everything would be okay. And I listened and and I did. And it was extremely uh, challenging because at that time, you know, when you're a teenager, you're basically opting out of your tribe, of your community yeah. to survive, essentially. You know, it's like either grow or die. Right. So that was the catalyst. And then during that time, I still was suffering from the anxiety and I was on medication and my mom's friend had given her some pamphlets with um, Paramahansa Yogananda teachings who this is um, a yogi who brought yoga to the West back in the thirties. He founded the self-realization fellowship and um, he just was this like prolific yogi who taught all these really incredible um, yogic teachings. And so I was really into anything new agey. I thought it was really cool. I was like into re I was into really I the craft, the movie, the craft was my favorite movie. <laughs> and so there was a part of me that was a, a geek and was really into reading books and really into fantasy and really into imagining, you know, my imagination was running rampant since I was a little kid. It was almost my escape. So mm -hmm. I, I got really into learning about yogic philosophy. And that was, that was the button that, that switched everything. I started to consume books about mindfulness and meditation and um, journaling. And I, I just, I started to meditate when I was around that same time, 15, 16 years old. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced being in my body and what being in my body actually meant because I'd spent the first 15, 16 years of my life being disembodied. Mm -hmm. So that just set me off on this path. Everything started to change in my life and little by little, those influences started to fall away. I ended up, you know, going to, I graduated high school and I put myself through college and I started working and I felt like I owed it all to these contemplative practices. So I wanted to learn how to bring these practices to people like the people I grew up with, you know, people that felt like they had no hope, they didn't have any tools. And, and I did, I did my first teacher training and I started to teach people and, and I got really into health and learning about organic food and the food system and how messed up that is. And I've always been like a little bit of an activist. So I always was trying to figure out ways of bringing what I was learning to more people. And so that was it. That That's what happened. And over the next decade, I started a podcast and I was going all over the world, teaching at festivals and working with people and 
I decided to call it Radically Loved because I felt like that was the ethos behind that first experience I had where I actually felt really supported. Mm. And um, and yeah, I just the, my desire was always to constantly bring this to more people so that everybody can create their own radically loved life. So those were the pillars that began my entire platform. And here we are. I'm like, that's the Cliff's, ver- Cliff's <laughs> Notes version. And the details that you go into in the book are just so good. I remember when you told the story about getting arrested and, and um, getting in the cop car, I was like, oh, shit, Rosie yeah. stole a cop car. <laughs> no, I didn't steal it. So like, I want to be very clear, like... <laughs> Uh, I did. I got in. I messed with some buttons. I may have clicked the turn signal, but then I got right out. And that's when the cops showed up because they were surveilling the park that I was at. And, and I, there was more detail to the story, but it got cut. But (laughs) I I always like to, anytime anybody asks me, I'm always happy to share, but yeah, yeah. I didn't actually steal it. I tried. It was attempted GTA, (laughs) not like a full on. It had me on the edge of my seat. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's it's really interesting because I grew up in like Agora, Calabasas area. And so on the flip side, I my family had nothing. My mom, my sister and I were evicted from our house. Her car was repossessed. We literally were homeless for about a year. And um Yet I was surrounded by so many different perspectives. And I think that, and I always like think about how grateful I am for that because I was shown that there were different ways, you know, as you said, like that was all that you saw. And so for you to have listened to that voice within you that said like, do different, be different is so powerful and so rebellious as well too, in a sense, because it really was rebelling against everything that had kind of been laid out in front of you. I mean, and I remember reading a part of your book that was that where the judge or the police officer said like, welcome to to life in the system. And it's so messed up that that is one communicated, um, but also that over, over time and environment, it's accepted as well yeah. too, is like this, this is the way this, yeah. is, this is the only way. Well, and, and, and I'm a girl, so that I can only imagine how it is, it, how it was for like my male counterparts, you know, like I had it, I got to eat. There's no way had I been a, a boy, you know, had I been uh, a different phenotype, I don't know that I would have had the opportunities that I had. And that's just the reality of the way the system works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So going through the time after you found meditation and started diving into these practices and really like immersing yourself in, in this work, did you kind of to turn the the tables back on you with the question you asked me earlier, what was the process like? Like, did you feel regret? Did you feel guilt? What were like the emotions that came through that you were processing as you were beginning to build this new life, beginning to create something bigger than, you know, what was initially, I'm doing air quotes for everybody, initially yeah. like set out in front of you? Yeah, it's a great Great question. I I didn't think about it a lot. And I think that's what helped me. Mm. The fact that I didn't actually process very much until later on in life, like probably my mid 20, mid to, I don't know, between the ages of like 25 to 30, I would say is when I finally started to look back, um, because I just focused so much on moving forward and it was working. Me focusing on the future was really helping, um, just helping me move further along the path. So it wasn't until I got to those moments where I I began doing more of the self-inquiry. It wasn't just the, oh yeah, this is working. This is great manifestation. I'm into it. I could do it, write it down, focus on it. Let's get into it, make it happen. Um, amazing. But there was that thing that we talked about in the beginning that was underneath the surface of that, right? There was this knowing that there was something 
wrong, that there was something that I needed to deal with, something that I needed to unpack. And um, I, I'm like a lifelong therapy goer. I love therapy. I love, you know, I love anything. What hypnotherapy, regular therapy, somatic therapy, whatever is new EMDR tapping EFT. Like I want all of it. I want to do it all. I want to have the experience. All of it works for me. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like every single method I've ever tried is amazing and it, it works for me. And I think that that has more to do with me being open and yeah. just being excited about, yeah. Unraveling those parts. Um, like you said, you know, we, we, in the beginning talked about that scarcity mindset and, and especially when you are in a situation where you grow up, seeing what it's like to not have anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you break through that? How do you break through the barrier for me? It wasn't necessarily that, even though that it did have some to do, but I feel like that's something, like you said, it's like a forever thing. You're always going to be in that, like trying to get out of a scarcity mindset. Um, For me, it was more the fear, like Mm -hmm. living in fear, the constant scanning rooms and scanning for exits and being hyper vigilant anytime somebody that gives me the the heebie-jeebies walks into a restaurant and I feel like you know that initial hyper vigilant state it just takes me right back into being in a you know save on or you know I don't know if you know it's save on like yeah. save on drugs <laughs> so old school but like being in a save on and having it be like robbed at gunpoint, you know, like that kind of thing where there's this deep embedded experience of something really traumatic happening. So it, it has taken a long time for that to subside, but I, I can't tell you that it's not there. I mean, it's still very much there and I've been doing this for over 20 years, you know, and I can still go in a place and still scan for exits and be be constantly, especially as women, right? Like as women, yeah. you always have to be hyper aware, especially if you're traveling or if you're in a new space. Um, I, I don't know that that'll ever go away. I think that's just so much part of my my DNA at this point. However, it doesn't keep me up at night like it used to. I think mm-hmm. it shows up, like I said in the beginning of the book and in the introduction, I'm, I talk about how I'm an incessant worrier and I'm like an expert at being in fear because I've been in fear for most of my life. Yeah. And there's this beautiful thing that has happened over the course of even the last decade where I, I found that secret sauce I, I finally understood that that thing that yogis talk about surrendering and letting go and really understanding the dynamics of what it takes to move on from living a life the same way in the same neurological pathway. I talk about samskaras in the book and samskaras are in, in from this yogic text that we study called the yoga sutras. I don't know how familiar you are with the yoga sutras, but it's like such a prolific text. And I, it was one of my first, first yoga books. And I still have that edition and it's like falling apart, but I read it back then and I did not understand it. I had no idea. It just sounded very wordy, but it sounded really cool. So I, I enjoyed it. But after a long time, when I read more about the samskaras that are these impressions, you you can think about them as mounds at the bottom of the lake, uh, the mounds, sand mounds at the bottom of a lake, or you can think about them as grooves. If you're ever driving on a highway and you see those deep grooves on the highway mm-hmm. and whether you want to go into them or not, sometimes your car just kind of gets sucked into those deep grooves. So those are samskaras. They are the familiar neuro- neurological pathway that you go into when there is a trauma, when there is like a deep rooted impression or there's a habit, right? Mm-hmm. And so in order to begin to disperse that groove, you're not trying to plug it up and, and 
add more sand to it so that it can just go away. You're, you're trying to disperse the energy. That's ultimately what we do as yogis, right? We move the body to disperse the energy, to exercise it so that it's free. Yeah. So we create a different groove on the side of the road. So if there was water flowing to it, instead of it going down that single groove, it would now be dispersed to two grooves. And then you add another groove. And the, the grooves that you're adding are new habits. I'm waking up today and I'm choosing to not be angry at the world. Mm -hmm. Or I'm waking up today and I'm going to meditate for five minutes. Or I'm going to wake up today and instead of me being reactive to my partner or my friend or going on social media and being reactive over somebody getting engaged or somebody being pregnant or somebody's career milestone, I'm going to choose to work on my own stuff, to journal, to start writing my own book proposal, to start doing something for myself. You're creating a different groove. Therefore, the life force, the energy that you have will be dispersed into different parts. And it's no longer just focused on this really deep groove at the center of this road that's sort of like sucking all of your information, all of your, I'm sorry, all of your attention it's mm -hmm. not taking all of the information to go through this one, one pathway. So to a long way to answer your question is that I was able to begin to do that. You know, I was able to create new habits, put my attention and energy into different parts of my life, put more focus into the things that were working. And I was open to failing, you yeah. know? Yeah. I think that that's such an important piece too, because you know, the, the, it's the experience that really creates the, the, the big shifts. It's not just like what we cognitively know and can tell ourselves it's, um, what happens in the experience itself. So, you know, what I, I always think about this one time when I was at a therapy session and had, I work with an incredible therapist that does a lot of embodiment work and, we um, did a whole session together around communication, around just like opening up the body and 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 staying open, even if my partner says something that makes me want to contract and close off. And um, my partner wasn't home at the time for like 48 hours afterwards. And, I, and so I was like, yeah, you know, I've been feeling really good. I feel great. I've been super open. And then he comes uh -huh. back and does something and <sighs> instant closure. And I was like, oh, what the heck? I was doing so well. And she's like, yeah, well, it's the experience that is where you actually train. It's the experience mm -hmm. and, and the, the actual time in which you're in the opportunity of, you know, responding to your partner differently or showing up and writing that book proposal or choosing to meditate in the morning instead of go on your phone. That's where the new grooves come into play. And so it, it requires us and beckons us forward to have to take action because in order for the grooves to actually come into form, it can't just be cognitive. It has to be yes. actually lived. Yeah. I love the embodiment practices. And I, I love that you had, it's like, even with those best intentions, right? That you're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm like, I'm going to try this and this is my plan. And then boom, your body, the it it's uh, what uh, Bessel van der Kolk talks about in the body keeps score, right? It's like our body knows the reactions that it knows, and mm -hmm. these anticipated memories that we have that live in our body need to be need to be exercised in a in the same physiological way, right? So. It is a lot of work to be in the experience and not go into contraction and not be triggered by it. And I'm curious if this happens to you, especially when you have like this was an intentional experience for you, right? You were like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm intentionally going into this. When you feel yourself contract and you felt yourself in that experience, like, do you have have this? higher vantage point where you're watching this happen? Like what happens? Can you walk me through your experience? Oh, totally. There's like the observer that's like, Oh, she's contracting. And then there's like the like sassy pants inside of me. That's yeah. like, I'm going to stay contracted. I'm going to stay closed. And so there's like, I can uh -huh. see these like two different 
these two different points of like the part of me that like loves and you know my higher yeah. self the, the the divine within me that is like mm, you're closing like oh why don't you let's try responding differently and then there's like 17 year old angsty Ava who's like no I'm gonna stay closed and so um yeah definitely a higher point do I always follow that from that vantage point no I think I'm getting better though and I think it because of practices like meditation breath work like these tools that create space between the experience and the response yeah, the in, the you have to give it the opportunity to integrate into, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and that's yeah. I always love hearing people's experience, especially when you explain it, right? Like you're you are explaining the experience, and you're telling somebody, okay, this is what happened. This is how I reacted. But to me, the best part is putting yourself back to the experience of being like, man, like I did that. That was just unnecessary. Or, you know, this morning I was having a, a little bit of a, um, like trying to calm my hairs down. <laughs> I get re- Sometimes when I re- get really excited, my hair starts to stand up. I love um, that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this morning it was one of those experiences too, where you always have to look at the big picture, you know? I always have to halt. I grew up going to Al-Anon, you know, uh, mm-hmm. family members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what they always say, before you react, always halt. Mm. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Right? So you have to ask yourself those questions, especially if you're feeling a little bit short. If I start to feel a little bit short, like things are really agitating me, for example, if my partner's chewing his morning English muffin and it's his chewing and sipping his coffee is really getting under my skin. I can feel it in my body. I have to stop and ask myself, okay, what what is it happening right now? And then the yeah. minute he asks me a question, I'm like, can you please not talk to me right now? Yeah. And it's like, he had said nothing to me other than just a simple, basic question. And I bit his head off. Right. So I have to stop and ask myself, okay, am I hungry? I'm getting a little hungry. I've been up since 5am. Yes. I'm hungry. Am I angry? I'm a little bit agitated. I'm not angry, but I'm feeling a little bit agitated right now. Am I lonely? Not really. Am I tired? Yes. Okay. So I got three out of four. So that means that I'm probably going to be reactionary. And I might say some things I don't mean, you know, Mm -hmm. but again, you know, hindsight's always 2020. (laughs) You're going to look back and say, yeah, I I can see exactly what was going on there. But when you're in that moment, I love what you said about your sassy self, because you're like, no, I know I'm being sassy and I don't care that I'm being sassy. I'm going to do it. I'm committed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your, um, transparency, because I think that sometimes we can get this idea that after a certain point, once you get to a certain level of your spirituality score, you know, you don't have reactions or you don't, you know, and it's like, and I think that there's sometimes this veil of like being the perfect meditation teacher, being the perfect spiritual thought leader. And it's just like, it's such a heavy weight to carry as someone who's just entering this space to look around and see quote unquote perfection yeah. when it's, it's just not the case. We're yeah, all, no. we're all messed up. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I'm a big fan of being transparent and being honest. And if anything, I, I always say you teach what you need to learn. So for me, I, I always admire teachers at, at whatever path of their journey they're on. If they're newer, if they've been on the path for a long time, it's like the path is the path and we're all mm-hmm. on it. And if anything, I think people that have been on the path longer are, are worse and have worse reactions. <laughs> and, and I find that to be true. And I could speak for myself and I know some other teachers out there, but I'm not going to say, but, <laughs> but I, I can speak for myself doing this for as long as I have now. Like I've been teaching for over like 13 years at this point, I've been practicing for, for 20 plus. Um, 
I definitely have every day I try to get better, but I, I feel like I have gotten worse with those reactive moments, but I've also gotten better at recognizing and observing and processing and acknowledging, apologizing mm-hmm. and yeah. calling it out and being honest, you yeah. know? So, yeah. so I'm a big fan of we're human, you know, like I'm not a robot. Things affect me. I get upset. I'm snippy sometimes. And sometimes I'm hungry. I react to I'm hangry <laughs> and I am not my best yogic self where if I, all of my needs, I'm taking care of myself really is what I'm trying to say. Not my needs are being met, but when I'm taking care of myself and I'm really nourishing myself and loving myself, those moments don't happen very often. Yeah. But it's those moments where I'm not getting enough sleep. My, I'm not working out. I'm not getting my body moving. I'm contracting. I'm not eating well. I'm over matcha like those are the moments where I, I see this contracted, hypervigilant experience come over me. And I also have the experience of working in an environment where, you know, the, the hypervigilance is hypervigilance, whether you, you grew up in East LA or you grew up in poverty or you have parents that were extremely demanding. Trauma is trauma. Pressure is pressure. Contraction is contraction. This isn't a sort of like my experience was worse than yours. We're not like trying to over tragedy each other. Mm -hmm. This is we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all on the same path. We all have to go through this fiery threshold of transformation. And it's so much better to do when you have the support of like-minded people that are going through the same thing that are there to support you and that are there and aren't going to judge you or throw in your face that, oh my God, Ava had a bad day. Oh my goodness. I was at the grocery store and she was just like, I was trying to tell her that I'm a big fan of her podcasts and she just looked like she was not having a good day. You know what I'm saying? Like those Mm -hmm. moments where I, I give so many people the benefit of the doubt because you really just never know what people are going through. And I've been in, in situations where I've told this story before. There was this, <laughs> this like big yoga teacher in LA. Um, this was, yeah, like about a decade ago on Santa Monica. I was going to practice at this studio. And I was, this is again, a famous yogi, yoga celebrity. <laughs> I was like totally stoked. I'd never been to her class. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And I got to the parking lot and I was pulling in and she kind of cut me off. Like she didn't see that I had been, my blinker was on and I was waiting for that spot and she pulled in and she's just kind of throwing her hands up and like being just like, Oh, like I was waiting here. And, and so I was just like, Oh, okay. Clearly I had, and even the person that was pulling out was like pointing to my car. Like this person was here first. And I was like, you know what? Let her have it. I recognized her and I'm like, you know what? She's going to, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, she's going to be late for this class. So I'll just let her park, you know? And then I went and I parked and I, I came, I came back in and I was like, man, that was like intense, you know? I go into the class and then I'm trying to not allow that experience to cloud what I was there to do. I was there to practice. I wanted to take this class and she goes in and she's she starts talking about how, you know, sometimes people are really inconsiderate of others. Oh and oh yeah, she starts going in on me essentially, right? And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, what is she serious? And I'm just like kind of like looking around, you know, those moments where if you trip and you feel like everybody saw, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I was just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking into my mat. And I just was like, Oh my God, now I feel like I have to apologize to her. I feel so bad. And then afterwards, you know, the, after the class was done, you know, she, she kind of walked past and she's like, Oh, you, you, you look, you're new. I could tell that you're new because I've not seen you here before. Um, how did you enjoy class? And I'm like, you know what? Class was really, really good actually. And in my mind, I'm like, if you weren't talking smack about me in the beginning of class, it would have been even better. But 
but she was very thoughtful and very nice. You know, she noticed that I obviously it was my first time there. There was about 60 people in that class and she, she keyed in right into me and there was two other people that were in the, the back of the class and she came and she said hello and she was very uh, pleasant and graceful. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get why people really like you. You're, you're obviously very thoughtful, not polite in the parking garage, but whatever, <laughs> like I'll let you have that experience. But to me, it was a great metaphor for what it means to be on this path the paradox of Mm, he can mm -hmm. be both of those people at the same time. She can be the a-hole in the parking garage and then the beginning of the class blaming it on somebody else. But at the same time, be somebody who's an incredibly gifted, prolific teacher and also somebody who acknowledges somebody who's new in their space. So do you know what I mean? I could have closed myself off and been like, you know what? This person... I'm never coming to this person's class. I'm done. And I, and and most people would say, okay, that was your right. And who cares? Yeah, she was rude. She shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, I'm like, that's not what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a good story. And, and it really does like show like the dichotomy of what it means to be human. And so I appreciate you sharing that before you go share a little bit about your book. You are radically loved. Yes. So the book, thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I love what you do. And I I hope that we continue to stay connected after this because this is, um, this has been really amazing. Um, the book is called you are radically loved a healing journey to self-love and, it's an invitation for the reader to write their own story, to cultivate practices within themselves, to create a radically loved life. I narrate part of my story. I weave in different stories that have helped me get to where I am. And um, there's practices in there. It's broken up into three parts, uh, mind, body, and spirit. And my prayer is that it serves as a tool for anybody who's started their spiritual journey or who's been on their spiritual journey and just needs a a little bit of inspiration. Mm, Yes. And I, like I said, throughout this conversation, I love the stories that you added in. I love that there's prompts throughout it as well to support um, anyone who's reading it with the lessons that you're taking them through. So we'll link it in the show notes for everybody. And then where can we find you? Yeah, you can just go to radicallyloved.com. Um, I have some like fun little bonuses there. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I hang out most of the time at Rosie Acosta. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Rosie. Thank you.